Christmas this year she said baby it's only June you're thinking about Christmas it's only summertime next day he comes down the stairs and mama oh mama you're such a good mama and I just want to say thank you for that brand new bike that you're gonna get me for Christmas this year she chuckled said honey Christmas is a long time away next day come down the stairs said mama you're the best mama in the whole wide world and I appreciate you and I just want to say thank you for that brand new bike when he came down the stairs the fourth morning there was a brand new bike sitting in the middle of the kitchen I came to tell somebody that you can provoke God I wish I had a witness in the building Bible says that if you being earthly know how to give good gifts to your children how much more does your father in heaven want to bless you see I just need about 200 believers in the building that would jump out of your seat this morning and run to the altar with a dance and say God I just want to tell you this morning that you're a good God I just want to thank you for the doors you're going to open for me. I just want to give you praise for the blessings in my... Come on. I know it's not here yet. I know I haven't seen it yet. I know the door is still closed. But you're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Rafika. And I give you praise. Somebody turn loose your prophetic praise. Come on, it's done, it's done, it's done. Somebody give him a shout of praise. I dare you to praise him like it's already done. I dare you to praise him like he opened the door. I dare you to praise him like he already healed you. I dare you to praise him. Come on. Somebody push. Somebody press. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're a good God. Thank you for healing my marriage. Thank you for touching my mind. Thank you for blessing on blessing. Hallelujah. Thank you for favor. Hallelujah. Anybody can praise him after the fact. Anybody can dance after it happens. But it takes some faith to give him praise in advance. See, see, our problem is some of y'all got bad credit. Oh, it got quieter here. Let me explain. See, when you have bad credit, it means that you've built a reputation of not paying your bills on time. It means that somebody extended goods to you in good faith that you would pay it back. And you haven't been too good at being reliable. Good Lord, I lost all my shouters up in the building. Some of y'all afraid to say amen, oh me, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And so because that's how we are, that's how we think God is. I know he said it, but I'm going to step back and wait to see if he really comes through. I know God promised it, uh, but I ain't going to shout yet. Uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up, uh, but faith uh, is the substance uh, of things that are hoped for. Uh, and it's the evidence uh, of things uh, that are not yet seen. Uh, your faith uh, says, God, uh, you got perfect credit. Uh, you've never let me down. Uh, you've always made a way. Uh, so I'll praise you now. Uh, and you can do it later. I'll praise you now. Uh, you can heal me later. Uh, I'll praise you now. Uh, you can open the door later. Uh, praise you now come on he's got perfect credit somebody give him a praise come on lift your hands what do you believe in God for lift your voice what are you asking God for just begin to praise him just begin to thank him hallelujah Clap your hands if you believe the word of the Lord in this house. Now why don't you shout while you clap your hands. Now do it with a voice of triumph while you shout. <laughs> Whoa. He's a faithful God. I said he's a faithful God. Whoa. And I'm an heir of Abraham. I've got the promise of blessing over my life. I said I've got the promise of blessing over my life. 
<laughs> Woo! Turn to your neighbor, tell him, neighbor, if you bless me, God will bless you. Because the promise to Abraham is I'll bless them uh, that bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah! You excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Are you grateful for what we feel in the sanctuary this morning? I've, I've somebody on the way to your seat tell him it's already done. It's already done. It's already done. It's already done. God's already got your answer. It's already on the way to you. Abraham, you're headed up one side of the mountain uh, and you can't see it. Uh, but on the other side, there's a ram uh, making its way up the hill. Come on, somebody. Uh, your ram is on the way up the hill. Uh, just keep moving forward. Uh, just keep believing God. Uh, just keep staying faithful. At the appointed time, uh, God's going to tell you, look over there, uh, and there's going to be a ram caught in the thicket uh, with your name on it. Woo! Somebody believes it this morning. Woo! Okay. Okay, let us, let us gather our Sunday morning composure. Welcome to Sunday morning at the Rock Church. <laughs> you can be seated for a moment. We do want to take a brief opportunity to say uh, a great big welcome this morning to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us today. Rock Church, would you help me put your hands together and give a standing ovation? Come on, I need your help this morning. Let's make some noise. For all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us today. We're so excited to have you in the house of the Lord with us. If this is your very first time here to the Rock Church, you should have received a VIP invitation card. And that card is just uh, uh, an invitation to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. We've got some light refreshments and a small gift that we'd love to give you just as a token to say how much we appreciate you coming to spend your Sunday morning here at the Rock Church. Amen, somebody. And uh, on behalf of this incredible church and the beautiful First Lady, <laughs> You know, we have our first grandbaby who's on, his, on her way. And all I got to say, that's one fine grandmama right over there. She was one good-looking grandma over there. Where was I? Oh, yeah. On behalf of this church and the beautiful first lady, I want to tell you, if you're a guest here for the first time, that you're only a guest for five minutes. After that, you're just at home right here at the Rock Church. Amen, somebody? Would you turn around, tell about four or five people sitting next to you, welcome home. Come on, help me tell them, welcome home. They're in front of you, behind you, on your left, on your right. Tell them, welcome home. Amen. We're so excited. Amen. How many of you are blessed by what the Lord did this week? Tuesday night, after the Holy Ghost finished, Amen. Melinda was baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, 
for the remission of her sins. She already had the Holy Ghost, but she was baptized. And then Aiden was baptized in Jesus' name uh, for the remission of his sins. Uh, and he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Alexis was baptized in Jesus' name uh, for the remission of her sins. Uh, and God's about to fill her uh, with the Holy Ghost. Uh, come on, let's give God a praise today. Amen. We're so grateful for what the Lord is doing in all of these families' lives. And uh, I'm, before we leave this morning, there are miracles that are about to happen in this house. Amen. I know it's already been announced, but somebody shout next Sunday. Next Sunday is Friends and Family Day. It's going to be a Holy Ghost party over here. I need every one of you to roll down your neighborhood this week shouting, party over here! Get your mama, your mama Nim, Aunt Betsy, Uncle Freddie. You can even get Freaky Freddie if you need to. He needs a Holy Ghost. And get him to the house of the Lord. It's going to be an amazing time. Um, we have a couple of announcements that happened today that I just need to make sure we understand and, and correct a little bit. Uh, one of them is it's Bishop Joel Holmes that will be with us. His son Nathan is the pastor, but Bishop Joel Holmes will be with us. How many of you are excited about Bishop Holmes being with us for Friends and Family Day? It's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss it. Uh, one of my uh, favorite people on the planet, and uh, he's an elder in my life and a powerful man of God. It's going to be absolutely off the chain. Amen. And then... Uh, another announcement I just want to clear up in case there's any confusion. Uh, it's Sister Jenny and Brother Brian instead of Sister Brian. I just want to make sure y'all are aware. Uh, Brother Brian, I was just making sure everybody knew uh, there wasn't no, uh, nothing weird happening around here. Amen. How many of you think, if you think it's easy getting up here giving announcements, you ought to try it sometime. You thank God for everybody that leads in this house today. Stand with me if you would all across this house. Amen. We are anticipating God to do something incredible. Amen. I felt led by God to ask one of uh, my sons in the gospel to bring the word of the Lord to us today. How many of you thank God for the ministry of our college and career pastor, Pastor Trevor Sloss this morning? Come on, help me make some noise and give God a praise for him and his precious wife, Sister Morgan's loss. You thank God for them today. Amen. Pastor Sloss, we want you to come and follow the Holy Ghost. How many of you are ready to respond to whatever God wants us to do in this place? Would you put your hands together one more time in this sanctuary? Come on, we can do better than that. Let's give God a praise as he comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us. Come on, can we give that to the Lord one time tonight? Come on, somebody, can you lift your voice one more time? Come on, can we do it like the Bible says? And can we do it with a loud voice? Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful to be in the house of the Lord.
this morning. I, um, I counted an honor to stand before you today. And um, I feel that God's given me a word for this house. So I don't want to belabor anything. I know you're standing. Um, you should try standing all service one time. But um, thankful for the people of God. Thankful for the house of God. I'm thankful for our man of God. I'm just thankful this morning. There's a lot of places I should be. A lot of places I could be. But I'm here today. You know, sometimes you just got to get that perspective about you. That look, I may not be exactly where I want to be. I may not be at the place that I feel like I need to be or that God told me that I would be at, but I'm still here. I woke up with breath in my body this morning. I woke up with the activity of my limbs. I'm in my right mind. I'm thankful this morning. I'm thankful this morning. Are there any thankful people in the house? Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I had thought about reading more, but I, um, I decided against it. So if you want all of my notes, then you can ask my wife afterwards because she writes all of my notes according to her. So she's got all the verses. Um, I want to give honor to God, my bishop, my first lady. Thankful. Thankful this morning. First Corinthians chapter number two, beginning at verse number one. This is Paul writing. He declares, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Very simple passage of Scripture, relatively familiar passage of Scripture. I want to hide behind Calvary this morning. I want to hide behind the cross. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach for just a few minutes this simple thought Jesus Christ and him crucified Jesus Christ and him crucified would you put your Bibles down and lift your hands would you lift your voice and ask God to have his way in the remainder of this service Lord we need you more than ever before God I pray that right now you'd have your way in this place God would you move on every heart on every mind God, I pray that you'd prepare us to be not only hearers, but doers also of your word. Your word's anointed. Anoint every hearer. Anoint my lips of clay. Anoint my mind to preach your word the way that you gave it to me. 
We'll give you all praise, glory, and honor. And someone said in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This passage of scripture was written on Paul's missionary journey. He was leaving Athens, Greece, and he was making his way to Corinth, the city in which this letter, this epistle was written. After preaching at Athens, which most theologian, theologians and scholars agree was one of the most, to this day, one of the most uh, notable masterpieces of, of speech, really, um, the results of it were very lackluster. He was preaching to these people. And you can go and read about it in the book of Acts chapter 17. But the Bible says that they came to him and they were challenging him. These people that were smart. These people that had an education. They were, up of, they were part of the upper echelon of society. And they began to challenge Paul and what he was saying. And the truth of the matter is, is that it was just a little too simple for them. And they... They felt like there was a little bit more that maybe Paul could have offered them. They, they felt like they were probably a little bit out of the category of what Paul was teaching. And so Paul begins to teach on their level, as you, as you will. And the results are, are very lackluster. The results are not there, as some would say. He, he gets done preaching, and the Bible says that there were a few people. There were a couple people that, that said, you know what, this is, this is good. We like this, but there was others that said, this is, this is baloney. They said, this is meaningless. We don't, we don't care what you have to say, Paul. And so the Bible says Paul leaves from Athens with a minimal revival, with minimal change, and he goes over to Corinth, and he begins to teach and preach in the synagogues, and he's teaching these people, and he simply teaches them Jesus Christ. And in this letter, he addresses them. And he tells them, listen, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom. He just got done doing that and there was no change. There was no effect. And so he tells them, I didn't come to you with flowery speech and with, with well-prepared notes and everything all together, all my ducks in a row. He said, I simply came to preach to you one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to tell you one thing, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ works, and it's here to work for you today. I want to stop and just say that the Bible doesn't need our help in deciphering its deep majesty of code and, and all of these different things that we try to put on it. The Bible simply just needs us to preach the word. And that's okay for a preacher, right? But how about for a saint of God when we sit on the pew and the word comes forth and it's Acts 2.38 again. And it's John 3.5 again and it's, and it's then Peter said again. And it's the gospel again and again. If we're not careful, we'll let that message just roll over in our, in our head over and over again and it will become of none effect. And it'll become just another Sunday morning. Or it'll become just another holiness class. Or it'll become just another Bible study. But I think we ought to get a fresh revelation of how powerful this Word of God is. I learned a long time ago, Bishop, you told me when I was younger. You said the Bible doesn't need us to change anything about it. It doesn't need our defense. It's like a lion trapped in a cage. All you need to do is let it out. 
And if we can get that way about a preacher in a pulpit, then we ought to get that way about a saint on the pew. When the man of God gets up and starts preaching salvation over and over again, it's not time for us to check out and time for us to look at our watch and head out the back door, but it's time for us to get behind the word of God, to get behind the man of God and preach with the preacher. Go ahead, Bishop. Say it like it is. Yeah, there's only one God. Go ahead. Teach me about baptism. Teach me about the Holy Ghost. The same thing that saved you is the same thing that's going to keep you. Just preach Jesus. I have to be honest. I have to tell you. I was on Instagram a couple weeks ago. And this video popped up on my feed. And I want to be careful. Because I don't want this pulpit to become a bashing session. This pulpit is not my pulpit. It's God's pulpit. But what I'm about to tell you is something that I was really disturbed about. I'm not going to use any names or anything like that. But it was a preacher on Instagram. It was a clip that was taken from one of his messages. And he began to talk about how, how he wished. Now, I, again, I, I, try to be, I try to play devil's advocate often. And so if I hear a clip, I, I, I do my best to make sure that it's not taken out of context because I don't want anybody to be disparaged. But I went back and listened to a bit of the message and just to see kind of where he was coming from. But he began to talk about how he wished that the matters of the movement LGBTQ plus AI, I don't, I don't know what it is, but he wished that it was a little bit more simple in the word of God. And he began to say how he wished that there was even an option for A, B, or C. And how it was just, it, it, it didn't seem fair that God had, it, had made it this way and that he wished that, that he, could, he could do something for people that were struggling with that mentality. And he wished that there was something easier, a way out, an option out, and just that it, it, it is what it is, and I'm sorry that it is that way. And he tried to, to reason and, and, and make it seem as if the word of God was incomplete or the word of God was insufficient. This isn't my message and it's not what I'm going to be talking about today. But let me just stop and say this. The word of God is very clear. We've turned social issues. We've turned issues of the Bible. And we've made them social issues and social agendas. And if we're not careful as the church, we'll bow the knee to the false God. We'll bow the knee to LGBTQ. And we'll bow the knee to false ideologies and confusion. Listen. The Bible and the Word of God, God Himself is not the author of confusion. So if you're confused about anything, let me tell you, it doesn't stem from the Word of God. Can I tell you, it doesn't stem from the preaching of the Word of God. It stems from sin. It stems from a spirit. There is no confusion. There is no gray area. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that He created the male. And female he created male and female and the one was to hold to the other there was no there was no option C there was no in-between and again I don't want this to be a bashing session but it made me stop and think it made me stop and I, I listened I must have listened to it ten times because I could not understand for the life of me how we had reduced to this. How we had gone from preaching Jesus, preaching the word of God, to preaching opinions. 
See, this is why you can't mix the church. This is why the church was never meant to be a social movement. The church doesn't stand for... The church is by itself. It stands alone. It's the bride of Christ. We're not of this world. This world isn't our home. So I'm sorry if you don't think that I sh I'm fighting enough for your rights or for your, your ideologies. But I can't because it's, this is an earthly kingdom that you're fighting for. And I'm just passing through and I'm trying to bring as many people as I can with you. So if you think for a moment that I'm going to stop and get sidetracked, sidetracked and preach all these other things. And we, I can't. I'm sorry. We've got to just simply preach the word of God. We've got to simply preach what thus saith the Lord. This message, I will say, came from that. It stemmed from that. Because I was so disturbed. And, and here's what's crazy. Is there are people that believe truth. That believe what the Bible says. And yet they cling to what these men say. And they promote it. And listen to preaching. You know what? A little bit of truth with a lot of deception is still deception. They could say, they could say one little bit of truth, Sister Tabitha. But if it's got deception all around it, if it's encased in lies, then it, the very essence of it is used to deceive. I'm just preaching a college and career. You got to be careful what you're looking at online. Just because something's labeled Christian or believer or Jesus doesn't mean that it is. Yeah. So today, that's what I want to do. I want to preach to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's what saved me. And that's what saved my mom. And that's what saved my dad. And if it saved them, if it was good enough for our elders, if it was good enough for the apostles, if it was good enough for the disciples, then it's good enough for me. It's good enough for you today. The Bible is a love story about the redemption of humanity. Man was created in the garden for relationship with God. I'm not going to be long. That was our original purpose, was communion and fellowship with God. The Bible says that God walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day. However, because of sin, because of disobedience, man fell in the garden and we were separated from God. We had intimacy, we had, we had fellowship with God day in and day out, but because of one sin, because of disobedience, one time we were forever separated from God. And everything from Genesis chapter 3 onward is simply redemption of humanity. It's the reconciliation of man back to God. There is a tapestry of redemption that's woven in every chapter. And it's in every verse. Even in Leviticus. And even in Numbers. And even in the genealogies, I had to learn that if you look deep into those genealogies, if you look deep into those laws that were written, they're not just there to fill space. 
You see Jesus all throughout it. You see stuff like the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the reason that they said that was because there were some things that they could eat and some things that they couldn't eat. And they had to be careful when it came to the brother and sister. They couldn't just take life willy-nilly. And they had to make sure that there was a right offering that they used. And it couldn't be fruit cane. It couldn't be, it couldn't be trees. It couldn't be any of these other things. But it had to be life. It had to be a lamb. It had to be something innocent. Something defenseless. It had to be blood. Blood had to be shed to cover us. You can see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. You can see Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Every jot, every tittle, every verse, every chapter, every bit of scripture, you see Jesus. And you see him reconciling men back into himself. You can see it in the call of Abraham. God calls Abraham out of his country, out of his kindred, and into a land whose builder and whose maker is God. He calls him, to, calls him out of a great, calls, to, calls him out to create of him a great nation. He calls him out from his people. His dad was, his family was idol makers and idol worshipers. As a matter of fact, some theologians go so far as to say that he came out of cannibalism. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's just what I've read. That there was some, some crazy stuff that Abraham was called out of. And this is the man. This is where we see God beginning to, to create a nation. He begins to create a people out of this one man. And there's a lot that can be said about Abraham. There's a lot that can be said about the, the faithfulness of Abraham and the, the, the absolute faith that it took to step out from where he was at and to just go and to just go where God called him. He didn't know where. Whose builder and maker was God. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew that there was a land. There was a place that God had already prepared. And he said, all right, I'm going. He had a son. His name was Isaac. But even in that, we see Abraham faltered a little bit at the promises. He staggered because God had told him that out of Sarah would I give you a son. It'd be between you and Sarah. And yet we see that Abraham and Sarah devised this plan because maybe there was a lack of faith. Maybe there was some uncertainty. I don't know. But they said, you know what? Why don't we just go the safe route and we'll go with Hagar and we'll, we'll see. It's still a son. God will still make a way. It's just, it just looks a little different than what he told us it would happen, than the way he told us it would happen. And so we see Abraham, the friend of God. Not many people are called the friend of God. Not many people are known as the father of the faithful. Not many people would step out of their city and their comfort zone and trek miles and miles, years and years to a place that they'd never known, they'd never seen before. And yet this man did it. This man is known for faithfulness. And yet he subverted the will of God. What does that mean? It means he was still imperfect. And all of the things that he did and all of the greatness of Abraham and the things that he accomplished, there was still a part of him that the Bible lets us see that he was imperfect. He had issues just like every man. He had struggles just like every woman. From Isaac, we see Jacob and Isaac has his issues and Jacob has his issues. Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter. He was insecure. He had 12 sons. I'm moving along today. Is this all right? He had 12 sons, and out of the one son, Judah, the Bible said the Messiah would come. 
But it would come through much pain. It would come through bloodshed and it would come through heartache. Judah, you see, had problems as well. Judah had problems with women. He had problems with faithfulness and adultery. He had issues just like every man. But it didn't stop there. Are you thankful it didn't stop with a mess up? Are you thankful it didn't stop with a mistake? Down the line of Judah, we see Boaz. He's a son of Judah. He marries and converts. Marries a converted Moabite woman named Ruth. Boaz and Ruth, they have a son. Son named Obed. And his son was named Jesse. And his son was named David. You can see David's history in the book of, in, in the word of God. You can see that the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. This was the man that slew a giant when he was but a teenager. This is a man that was obedient to his father and, and while doing so, he slew a bear and a lion while just being a teenager. This is a man who, who led armies of thousands to victory. This was a man who experienced the greatness of the kingdom. This was a man that was renowned and is, and, and is quoted as being one of the greatest kings to ever walk the earth. And yet this is also a man of great turmoil. This is also a man of great travesty. This is also a man of great sin. In spite of the greatness of David, in spite of all the wonderful things that David did and all the accomplishments that he had, he still fell short of the glory of God. He was still an imperfect man. He had a lust problem. David was an adulterer. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was many things. But the Bible does call him a man after God's own heart. And so there's this dynamic with everyone. That they, 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 they follow after the things of God as best they can. They do their best to live up to the standard that God has set. And yet every single time they fall short to some degree. Can I tell you just a moment here that you and I are human and we will fall short to some degree. There's a stigma sometimes in Pentecost and in Christianity that you've got to be perfect and that you've got to clean your life up before you come to God. And you've got to get rid of a lot of things and change completely before you come to God. But that's not how it works. You need to first make the journey to God and then repent. Once you're confronted with your sin, once you're confronted with your ways, you've got to repent. But you can't. Please hear what I'm saying today. We'll never be good enough. We'll never be perfect enough. And if we let that be the excuse, then we'll never make anything in the kingdom of God. We'll never do anything with ourselves. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon's also an adulterer. The Bible calls him the wisest man. And yet he makes some of the dumbest choices. He's an idol worshiper. He's somebody who's insecure. David also had two other sons. They sinned. They were imperfect. One of the sons was a rapist. And the other was a murderer. These were sons of David. And don't forget the Bible says that out of Judah would the Messiah come. What I'm giving you is the line and the lineage of Judah. 
These are all the people that were in the line of Judah. So somewhere in here we should be seeing a Messiah. Somewhere in here we should be seeing somebody that's going to become, that's going to come to save the world. And I can imagine, bear with me as, as growing up and you're from the tribe of Judah. You can imagine any one of them could be thinking to themselves, I wonder who the Messiah is. And years down the way and years pass and years pass and the Messiah hasn't come yet. They think to themselves, oh, maybe it's David, but it's not David. Maybe it's Obed. No, it's not Obed. Maybe it's Jesse, but it's not. Years and years pass and the Messiah has yet to come. Solomon also, when you read down the line, the most evil king, the Bible says, comes from the line of David. Ahab and his wife Jezebel were from the lineage of Judah. They were from the line of David. But can I tell you, just a few hundred years down from the line of Ahab, a few hundred years down from the line of David, from the imperfection of man, from the imperfection of humanity, from the fallen sinful nature of mankind, becomes two, man, two people, a man and a woman named Joseph and Mary. And no, Joseph and Mary weren't perfect. They didn't have all of their ducks in a row either. But the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord came and visited Mary and told her, that you're favored among women and from you would the Messiah come. You've got to understand the impetus and you've got to understand the absolute gravity of this announcement. This was the man, this was the person that they had been waiting on for thousands of years. It had been foretold that the Messiah would come someday. It had been said, they had been looking, they had been waiting for somebody to come and save them from their sins because day after day and year after year they simply kept falling short they simply kept messing up they could never get it right why because ever since man fell in the garden sin had entered in the world and so we see this son of David from the line of Judah we see this son of David born into the world can I tell you his name is Jesus and the Bible says that the angel said he's come to save his people from their sins. Are you thankful that Jesus came to save us from our sins? I'm thankful that it didn't stop at David. I'm thankful that it didn't stop at that it didn't stop at Solomon. I'm thankful that it didn't stop at Amnon or that it didn't stop at Absalom or that it didn't stop at Ahab or that it didn't stop at Joseph and Mary. But I'm thankful that God robed himself in flesh, that he forsook his throne. He became, he became flesh and blood just like you and me. And he entered the world through the matrix of a woman so that we might be saved. This man was not like any other man. You can come to the music. He wasn't like any other man. He wasn't like his predecessors. He wasn't like the previous sons of David. This one was different. This man was about his father's business at 12 years old. This man was about the work of God from an early start. He had a focus on the kingdom of God and a focus on the things of God. This man traveled the countryside preaching salvation and preaching redemption. He went with healing in his wings. He healed the sick. This man raised the dead. This son of David healed blind eyes. This son of David unstopped deaf ears. This son of David's hands never felt the pain of murder. 
His heart never felt the sting of hatred and his feet never ran toward mischief. His eyes never wandered to evil. His mouth never spoke lies or anger. His ears never searched for gossip. This man was a perfect man. This man, Jesus called the Christ, uh, was a man that was completely innocent, a man that was completely sinless. And this man still became sin for me and for you. Why did he become sin? He became sin for love. He became sin for relationship. He took upon himself the sins of the world. He took upon himself the transgressions of mankind so that we might be saved. Pull up Isaiah chapter 9. Or I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53. This man was a perfect man. This man was a sinless man. Isaiah chapter 53, begin at verse 1. The Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him there was nothing special about the appearance of Jesus there was nothing captivating about his appearance there was nothing about him that screamed royalty there was nothing about him that screamed perfection he was a man just like me and you verse 3 he is despised rejected of men he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Can I tell somebody? Go back to verse 3. Can I tell somebody if you got some sorrows in your life. If you've got some grief. Some things that are, that are weighing you down. Some depression that's been knocking on your door. Some things in your past that you feel have weighted you down. From the time you were a child. Can I tell you, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He too was a man of sorrows. He too felt the sting of betrayal. He too felt the sting of rejection. He was acquainted with grief. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace. Somebody say my peace. Was upon him. And with his stripes. We are healed. He was perfect. He knew no sin. And yet he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace was upon him. I want you to understand something. That Calvary, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, unfortunately has been regulated in most of Christian society to one day a year. 
we talk about it once, not this church. We talk about it all the time. But all too often in Christian circles, it's regulated to once a year. And even then, it's been diluted. And even then, it's been watered down. But can I remind somebody about Calvary for just a minute? Can I remind you about what our Savior did for us? He was an innocent man. He walked the earth healing their sick. He raised their dead. He brought, he brought peace. He brought love. He brought joy. And yet they wrongfully accused him. They took him before Pilate. And they expected judgment to be passed. And they said, this man needs to be crucified. They said, this man is an evil man. This man is a blasphemer. This man is disrupting our cities. The same that man that killed their sick. These aren't just random people in the crowd. These are people that were affected by Jesus. These are people that saw him work miracles. These are people that saw him open blinded eyes. They saw him unstop deaf ears. I believe there were people there that were probably eating from the same bread and fish that passed through his hands and through the multitude. These were some of the same people that watched blind Bartimaeus rise up and then his eyes be completely healed. These were some of the same people that Jesus touched. And yet we can see them bringing him before Pilate, bringing him before Herod, bringing him before the people and throwing them at him at their feet. And saying, crucify this man. Kill him. We don't want him. He's caused us too much pain. He's caused us too much division, too much heartache. And this man, as you know, stand with me. This man was beaten. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. A transgression is a sin, is an outward sin. And this word, the word wounded literally means that there was, a, there was a, an opening in the skin. It means that he was, he was, when he was whipped, that's what it's talking about. When he was punched in the face and, and that punch broke open. His skin and blood started trickling down. That's what it was talking about for my transgressions, for your transgressions. The sin in our life, the imperfections in our life, Jesus took to a cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. A bruise is, in, is, a, is, a, is a wound that's under the skin. It doesn't break the skin. It's the things on the inside. Those inward thoughts, God, he, he covered every bit of it. He covered the things that you did and the things that you thought. And the Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He took the beating. He took the whips. He took the ridicule. He took the shame. He took the pain. He took the heartache from me. He took it for you. Bible says with his stripes we are healed surely he hath borne our griefs and our sorrows griefs and sorrows that's that's sickness he took upon himself not only the sin of the world 
but also all of the sickness of the world. Can I tell you that God's not only interested in healing your mind, and he's not only interested in saving your soul, but he's also interested in healing your body too. Yeah, he's, he's also interested in healing that sickness. This man was a perfect man. He was lied on. He was sold into slavery. Sold to the Sanhedrin. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. For one purpose. For love. The cruelty and the gruesomeness of Calvary. See, Calvary Calvary's just been regulated to, to a cross. And Christians walk around with a cross on their neck and a cross in their home. And we forget about the blood. The Bible says uh, at the end of chapter 42 of Isaiah that his visage, his, his body was so marred that they didn't even recognize who he was. His body, I can only imagine the, the flesh that was hanging from his body and the the blood that ran down his face from the crown of thorns that was thrust into his head it wasn't just placed on his head it was placed into his head and I can only imagine the stench that came from from days of being of sitting in a prison cell and and the blood that just dried up on his body it was so gruesome and it had to be it had to be because the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us and he took it to a cross and he nailed it to a tree he took my sin I need you to understand this he took your sin he took your sickness and the reason why it was so bloody and it was so gruesome was you're seeing the wrath of God on sin you're seeing the absolute hatred towards sin in full display on Jesus Christ Sin and all of its shame, Jesus represented in that moment with his nakedness and with his bruised and mangled body. He represented the sin that riddles our bodies. He represented the sin that riddles our minds, that holds us captive. That's what you see when you see Jesus. And we don't like to preach that because it makes us reflect. If that's what my sin looks like, then I don't want anything to do with that. That's too scary for me. I'll just a little, go and live my life the way that I've been living. But he did it for love. He did it for relationship. Can I tell you the story doesn't end there? Because while he was finished on the cross and he yelled, it is finished. And they thrust a spear in his side and blood and water came spilling out. We see the birth of the New Testament church. And three days later, after they placed him in a tomb, he rose again from the dead. He rose again, not just, not just the same Jesus that was there before, but he rose with all power in his hand. He rose with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He rose perfect. He rose whole and entire. Why? So that you could rise again. 
so that you can rise again and walk in newness of life. Don't ever forget about the price of Calvary. Don't ever forget about the price of the cross. May we never forget about what Jesus did for us. Church is more. Church is more than just a couple good songs. Church is more than just a hype service. Church is more than just friends and family, and I love friends and family. I love good songs, and I love high church. But can I remind somebody that Jesus didn't come just for that. He came so that the lost might be saved. He came to take away my sin. He came to take away your sin. There's people in this house that have been struggling for years. There's people that are living under the weight of condemnation, that are living under the weight of shame, that are living in bondage of sin. You don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus already paid the price. Jesus already took your sin. He already took my sin to Calvary. There's freedom in this house. There's salvation. There's redemption, love, joy. There's peace in this house. You don't have to walk out the same way that you came in. Do I have a witness in the house? You don't have to walk out the same way that you walked in here. Bound in chains, bound in sin, locked up in iniquity. You can leave this house free. You can leave this house washed. You can leave this house cleansed. You can leave this house not just fresh, but you can leave this house new. The Bible says that we are a new creature in Christ Jesus and behold all things old things are passed away that old lifestyle that old man that old sinful decrepit broken man is passed away and behold all things are become new God isn't just interested in a new start God isn't just interested in revamping some things. He's interested in completely changing your life. He's interested in completely giving you a new mind. He's interested in giving you a brand new heart. He's interested in giving you a brand new life. He did it for me. He did it for you. That's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I could stand up here and I could give you, I could give you enticing words. I could stand up here and I could tickle your ears and I could say a couple catchphrases and I could say a couple one-liners and make you feel good and maybe get a 30-second bite for the Instagram reel. But he said, you know what? All that stuff amounts to naught if I can't reach somebody. All of that stuff means nothing. All of the trappings that come, all of the trappings, all of the dress and all of the, the, the blessing and all of that stuff is great and it's a part of the kingdom of God and it's important and it's something that we ought to live in every day but may we never forget how we got there in the first place. May we never forget the price that was paid. May we never forget the things that had to happen in order for me and you to live here today. These altars are open. I wonder if you can make your way down to the front with your hands lifted. Come on, somebody. I wonder if you can, 
If you're a saint of God, I wonder if you can help me in this house. Why don't you find a visitor? Make your way down to the front. While you're, while you're coming, while you're coming, I want to let you know that it's not good enough to just know about the death of Christ. It's not good enough to just know about the life of Christ. It's not good enough to just know about the burial and his resurrection. But can I tell you, you've got to apply it to your life today. It's not enough, Sister Thailand, to know that Jesus was perfect and that he died for my sins and he died for your sins. It's not enough to just know the gospel, but you've got to apply the gospel. Romans tells us that we are buried with him by baptism and we would rise with him to walk in newness of life. The same way that Jesus was was beaten and mocked in the same way that his, that his body was broken and it was ripped and torn is the same way that you've got to repent of your sins. Him dying on the cross is exactly what we do when we repent of our sins. What are you doing? You're crucifying that old man and you're putting it on a cross and saying, no more am I living the same way that I've been living. No more am I doing the same old things that I've been doing. You've got to repent of your sins. The same way that Jesus Christ hung on a cross. What does repentance look like? I hope this is okay, church. This is simple. If, I can, if we can just reach one, we've done our job today. What does repentance look like? Repentance is completely turning away from your sin. Repentance looks like this. I'm walking in this direction. I'm living life in this direction, but I've made a decision. Not only in my mind, but in my walk. And I'm turning away from that old man. You know what it looks like? It looks like putting the cigarettes down. It looks like putting the relationship down. It looks like leaving the gossip behind. It looks like leaving the lying and the cheating and the running around behind. And it looks like moving forward in Jesus' name. Remember, I just told you. We've all fallen short. We've all come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. David said, I was born and I was shaped in iniquity. Some of the greatest men in the Bible had some of the biggest weaknesses. Just because you make mistakes doesn't mean you're unworthy of the love of God. It's simply about a choice. It's a decision that we all have to make. I refuse to be bound by those things. And I choose to live life according to God's word. That's repentance. And then what do you do with a, with a, with a dead body? What do you do with a dead man? Will you bury it in the same way that they buried Jesus? They laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the grave. Well, how do you bury yourself? I, I, I just said in, in, in the book of Romans, the Bible says that we're buried with him by baptism. And it matters how you're baptized. Can I tell you, sprinkling is not baptism. I know some denominations teach that, that you can just be sprinkled and that you're clean. But that's not, that's not how it works. You don't just sprinkle a little bit of dirt on a dead man. 
you got to completely bury that thing. Why? Because if not, then the old things are right at the surface and they're just waiting to come back up. That stench and that smell is just festering right there. You've got to bury it. And how do you bury it? By baptism. The word baptism means to fully immerse. It means to go completely under. How? In water. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 38. To repent and be baptized. Every one of you. How? We know it's not sprinkling. But it's got to be in the name of Jesus. It's got to be in the name of Jesus. Because Acts 4 and 12 tells us, For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. We must be saved by the name of Jesus. Matthew 28 and 19. Jesus said, go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So people take this verse and they take it out of context. You may have heard it said before, but I'll tell you again. That word, that phrase, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, the prepositional phrases. The emphasis is on name. It's not on Father, it's not on Son, it's not on Holy Ghost. You've heard Bishop talk about it. There were many people back then called Jesus. That's why often you'll see him referred to as Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It matters what name you're baptized in. And can I tell you, when you come up out of that water... When you go down into that water and that name is called over your life, the name of Jesus is applied to your life and you come up out of that water, your sin stays down in the water. Your sin, your past stays down in the water. If you're struggling with your past, if you're struggling with your sin, I'm here today to tell you that there's a way out. There's an escape just like the children of Israel had to go through the water and into the cloud. It's the same way today that we've got to go through the water and then rise up. And when you come up out of that water, you'll speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And that's how you'll know that you've got the Holy Ghost. I wonder if we can just lift our hands in this house today. Come on, somebody. I wonder if there's a saint of God in this house, if you can find somebody. If you can find somebody and pray with him. God's moving all across this house. Come on, somebody lift your hands. It starts with repentance. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how far away you seem from God. Right here and right now, all it takes is you turning around. All it takes is you making it up in your mind that you're not going to live the same way. All it takes is crying out to God and telling Him, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living the way that I've been living. I'm sorry for my lifestyle. God, please forgive me. Come on, that's it. Somebody lift your hands. Come on, there's people all across this house. Somebody lift your hands. Take everything I don't want. Come on, somebody ought to make that the cry of your heart right now. 
that's it right now God here I am I give you my life God I'm turning around right now come on that's it I don't care if you've been living for God for 50 years or if you've never been to a church service today's the day today's the day of salvation right now it can happen in this place right now come on somebody that's it turn from your sin turn from your lifestyle God I'm not living this way God I'm not living this way anymore I surrender my will I surrender my desires I surrender my ambitions God forgive me wash me cleanse me God Come on, there's forgiveness in this house. There's forgiveness in this house. There's forgiveness in this house. He took my sin. He took your sin. And he poured on the cross. So that we might live again. Just want you. 